Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. Well, another turbulent and stormy week in both politics and real life. How are you doing, Simon? Um, well, this one, aha. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right, other than a hectic week, um, obviously dealing with um, dealing with the wind, but I didn't get blown away um, just dealing with stuff. Um, my lights have flickered a couple of times, so if, if I disappear, um, I've got about two minutes to come back into the live stream before the live stream will automatically end, but um, you guys carry on if I disappear. Oh, well. And see we'll how far we Yeah, we'll, we'll busk it as far as we can. The rain is hammering down on the on the roof of my office, which is better than Friday when the roof of my house rained down on the roof of my office. Uh, no real damage done, and uh, bless a local roofer, ATF Roofing, who uh, came out and made us watertight yesterday morning, and uh, hopefully is going to fix me later in the week. But uh, yeah, we got here in one piece, and so. We're looking at the the choppy waters ahead financially in terms of lots of uh, lots of numbers, and as we know, we are to numbers what a cow is to a musket. So, um, who have we got, Simon? So we've welcomed back to the show um, our, our our very own um, lecturer of economics, Simon Foster. Welcome back, Simon. Hi guys, good to see you again. Hope you're both well. We are extremely. Indeed. Um, yeah. Now, I guess so. My, my first question is: as as uh, somebody who who lectures on economics, are are these kind of turbulent times and and unprecedented things that we haven't seen before? Does does this get your economics juices flowing? Oh, it does. And those of my students that I teach um, in FE as well. This is the sort of thing that excites us, not necessarily in a good way, because uh, we're looking at what's going on at the moment. And I'll quickly say that, yeah, we have a little bit of inflation we think is good. The Bank of England has a target of between one and three percent, ideally two percent. So a little bit of inflation is good. Um, but we're nowhere near that target, number one. And also we could talk about the good type of inflation that we might like and the bad type of inflation that we definitely don't like. And we're into the realms of bad inflation at the moment that economists don't like. So, yeah, lots to talk about. Great stuff. And um, we're getting lots of good evening Simons in the chat. I'm presuming, as that doesn't normally happen, they're directed at you. Um, it might be. Um, uh, I've also, um, uh, all my students know that I'm on here tonight, so I've just sent out a message to them. So, um, which one's Simon 1 and which one's Simon 2? Uh, we, could, we could always say Simon Pompey and Simon from the other place, just the west. The other place. So, you, you, you touched on it at the start. Yeah. The, the cost of living in general, which is, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about inflation and, uh, um, you know, and it, it, lots of stories every day about mm -hmm. the cost of living going up. What, what, what's your view of, of the overall landscape at the moment? Uh, the overall landscape, when people say, has this happened before? Yes, it has happened before. And we're into similar problems, I'm afraid, that we had in the 1970s, although we're at nothing like the scale we were in the 1970s, where inflation almost hit 25% um, uh, at one month uh, for a year. 
um, in uh, the mid 70s. Um, so we're looking uh, definitely at a cost of living crisis and pushing that cost of living prices. There's what's going on with oil and gas is uh, number one. Uh, there's everything being in the wrong place due to COVID. And so all these shipping containers and products and everything all over the world, we're still trying to get everything back to the right place. And that's affecting supply chains and that's pushing up costs as well. Um, uh, added to that, um, on the edges of that, we shouldn't ignore um, uh, Brexit. And then food is quite expensive at the moment. And so food and drink um, are also pushing up uh, inflation. And so if you look at three of those, um, everything bar Brexit, that was going on in the 1970s as well. And so economists would draw a good parallel between what's going on now and what's going on in the 1970s. An interesting, touching looking back at the seventies. You know, one of the things the Bank of uh, the Bank of England Governor Mark Carney has said to people, you know, don't be going asking for big pay rises. And you know, looking back at the late seventies and and the terrible um, death match between Thatcher and the unions, mm -hmm. um, that was fundamentally triggered by a well, if inflation is at I think it was about 13% at the time, we won an 18% rise. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so is, is Carney right to encourage us all to, to, um, to dog throw it together or are people uh, right to be uh, rattling the tin? Oh, oh, they're both right. Um, uh, um, we, need, we need to break that down. So let's go into the different types of inflation that occur. Now, usually what happens and has been going on for the last decades in varying small amounts is that aggregate demand, the total amounts of goods and services, um, has uh, gone slopes. Um, the total amount of goods and services that everybody wants to um, buy in the economy has risen slightly faster than aggregate supply, the amount that we can supply of all the various goods and services. And so that demand has pulled um, prices up a bit. And that sort of demand pull inflation, you know, if it's about um, 2% or between 1% and 3%, that's actually really quite good for the economy. And that's why we have that target. Because if we didn't have those price rises, it would suggest aggregate demand would be weak. And if we got into prices falling, none of us would go out and buy any cars or TV sets, knowing that six months later that they would be cheaper and we get into a horrible deflationary spiral. So a bit of demand pull inflation, not too much, but a bit of demand pull inflation is actually quite good. Uh, the problem is we've got ourselves into the second sort of inflation. Um, and like I say, a lot of that is um, uh, being down to COVID with everything being in the wrong place. But now we're in cost push inflation. And that's where um, uh, the price of actually supplying all the goods and services of the economy is rising. We assume in economics that um, uh, people... Um, uh, people uh, are rational and therefore want to uh, protect their profit margins, protect their wages in real terms. And therefore, uh, what they will do is they'll say, OK, I would like um, a pay rise. And so if inflation goes up by 5%, well, they said, well, we'd like quite a, um, a nice 5% pay rise as well. The problem is, is that we can easily get ourselves into an inflationary spiral there. And so uh, the current governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, might be saying, OK, let's limit um, uh, what those pay rises should be. He's right on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, 
it means that he's asking us all to take uh, what is effectively a real pay cut now to avoid more inflation coming down the line later. And unfortunately, uh, the cat's out of the box and people are um, de uh, demanding all sorts of pay rises. So I was looking at a group of binmen who've been on strike in um, Kent. Um, I think it's around Hastings, but I'd have to check the exact area. Um, and they said, look, we want a pay rise. Um, now, the binmen in Hastings, uh, they went on strike. They've got themselves a 19% pay rise. And the trouble is, with any pay rise, somebody, in this case, the district council, local taxpayers, are going to end up paying for so we can all demand all these pay rises, but it still means we're just creating more and more inflation and we're getting into what we call um, a cost inflationary spiral. And that's really quite dangerous. We saw that take right off in the, um, the 70s, as I said, going up to 25 percent. And the average inflation rate across the 70s was something like 16 percent per year. So we've got some we've got some big problems there and um, they're not going to magically go away. Economics is about who ends up paying for those problems, somebody's going to end up paying for these problems, and this is where we can have a nice debate on who ends up paying for that and who ends up um, paying for the cost of living crisis. And of course, we've got all the major parties come out with their various theories, uh, along with a couple of more extreme theories that I'm going to um, uh, throw into the mix, because we like in economics uh, to make sure we're covering all the bases, right from the far left, right the way through uh, to some libertarianism bordering on anarcho-capitalism. Ian, we seem to have lost your audio. Um, okay, can you both still hear okay? Yeah, I can hear. That's absolutely okay. fine. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so... Um, it, sorry, there are a, there's a multitude of questions being uh, being chucked in in, um, in in the comments section, but um, we'll try and kind of cover some of, some of those um, some of those issues there. So uh, yeah, so there's all these all these kind of stuff going on. So the um, the massive kind of energy prices, the rises yep. that we, we're seeing at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so what's all that about? Is that is that just about all of the you know the stuff to do with greening uh, greening the energy industry? Where's all that? Where's all that coming from? Or is it just good old supply versus demand? Um, it's partly good old supply versus demand. And then we have this lovely organization called OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, uh, which one of my students in the um, uh, uh, chat is uh, mentioned. And I'll get on to the VAT um, cut that they were proposing um, in a little bit. Uh, but OPEC essentially are a cartel. Now, if this was a private company, uh, we would knock on their door with the Competition and Markets Authority. We would fine them um, for up to 1% of their global turnover. We will put individuals um, that, that belong to these uh, illegal cartels in jail for up to five years and will say, no, that's not in the interest of consumers. The trouble is you can't apply competition law like that to the whole country of Saudi Arabia. You just can't do it. So on an international level, at macroeconomics, when it comes to cartels, uh, OPEC um, is, you know, countries um, are allowed to do that. We can't force them into it. And artificially, they are restricting supply. And by restricting supply, even though they're selling less, they're making more on the other 99% that they still are selling. So they cut supply by 1%, 
but it's more than borne out by higher profits for the other 99%. That's good and rational for them. It's a real problem for us because we rely on oil and gas for so many different things. And the thing I'm always reminding students of is not heating. Most people remember that. It's not transport. Most people remember, remember that. But if you look around any room that you are in at the moment, there are a significant number of things made of plastic from the, um, that, and that comes from the oil and gas. And so, yeah, oil and gas prices are absolutely crucial. So OPEC is having uh, an effect there. In addition to that, um, Putin is playing politics here. It's in his interest to have the gas and oil prices really high so that if some sort of political event occurred, such as raising the UK, uh, invading the Ukraine, he has a really strong economic hand to play there by just saying, look, I can cut the gas and oil prices, uh, gas and oil supply off. And if you think prices are high yet, wait to see what I could do to you. So there's some there's some politics going on there um, as well. And then, as I've said, COVID means everything's uh, in the wrong place. Um, and Brexit doesn't help when it comes to the cost of um, moving goods either. So you've got a perfect storm almost there uh, of events that have come together. I, I don't think the green um, energy taxes haven't uh, gone up uh, particularly high as a percentage. They're not making the situation any easier, though, and therefore it is reasonable for a government to say, OK, or an economist to say, temporarily cut those taxes in order to make things easier for consumers. However, we want to look at the big picture. And so in terms of the valuation and opportunity cost, I do come back to our climate change targets. I do come back to what's going on in the long run. On the other hand, what use a climate change target if you can't afford to actually heat your home at the end? Okay, that's, a, that's an interesting one. So, um, but is it's just removing um, VAT, is that, is that an effective kind of method to target that? It seems like a simple thing to switch a button to do. It's, of course, one of the things we've now got the power to do now. That yeah, we've left absolutely. The so um, I'm but yep, sorry, go uh, I'm going to point out this ought to be Bre uh, Brexit's uh, moment. Um, we didn't have the power to do this and completely abolish VAT. You can cut it down to 5% when in the European Union. But European Union rules say once you've introduced it, you can't get rid of it completely. So as a clear benefit of Brexit, you now have the freedom to do that. And so we have a government that says, oh, it's absolutely brilliant, Brexit is. It's fantastic uh, that you could do that. And you've got the Labour Party saying, well, OK, if that is a benefit of Brexit, why don't we cut the VAT? Now, I like that as an economist when it comes to helping the poorest in society. VAT, um, although you know, everybody says, oh, it's 20%, surely that's a proportional tax. It's regressive when it comes to people's incomes. So the poorest in society are paying a lot more as a percentage of the uh, income for their fuel bills than the richest. And so cutting VAT actually is a very progressive move. The problem is, and um, the chance of, do you want to come in, Simon? Yeah, sorry. Um, well, it's just that um, VAT on domestic energy is only 5%, isn't yeah. it? On yeah. business, it's still 20%. But mm -hmm. um, So there's that, there's that kind of element to it. If you cut it on domestic properties... Um, then okay that that solves the consumer but it's still uh, an increasing if you leave it on commercial supply yep. mm -hmm. then that's still a, a big uh, a big line item in um, in the costs for businesses so in manufacturing and distribution um, and, mm -hmm. and in retail um, um, just so that um, I think we've temporarily lost Ian but hopefully yep. he'll come back in a second mm -hmm. when his connection sorts out 
Okay, so that that five percent will help a little bit. On the other hand, if your fuel bill is going up from one thousand two hundred pounds to two thousand pounds a year, that five percent is not going to meet um, that eight hundred pound increase that a typical household could be given. And crucially, here for the government, uh, you cut those uh, those taxes um, without raising them elsewhere you are going to increase the fiscal deficit. And when you've spent, you know, £312 billion on a furlough scheme, that fiscal deficit and the overall government debt is a headache that you are going to be paying for for the next 50 years. And so the Chancellor will be very reluctant um, to cut taxes like that, even though ideologically he's a tax-cutting Chancellor. That's what he naturally would like to do. Um, also, there's no guarantee. You cut taxes, will the companies pass on the full benefits of that VAT cut. Uh, they won't have to by law, although the government through the regulator could force them to, but it seems to me um, it, it's, it's a good idea temporarily. It would be a good idea if the government was in a better um, uh, fiscal position. There's other things that I think you can do that would have more effect. Okay, and just an update, Ian's messaged me to say he's relocated because a roof tile has just bounced off his skylight. Okay. So he's going to sit somewhere a bit safer. So mm -hmm. stay safe, Ian. Hopefully you'll join us join us again soon. Mm -hmm. Um okay, so um so how you know how how's inflation and cost of living in the UK compared to other countries? I mean, it, it feels like it's a it's a pain here, but we're not the only country in the world, obviously, dealing with um, an energy crisis. We're not the only country in the world on the back of COVID. Obviously, mm -hmm. we we've got the different situation of Brexit, but we've still got all of those other major things. They're they're universal. Mm -hmm. um, so how's other how are other countries faring? Um, across the world, you're seeing inflation go up because universally, um, COVID is a universal factor that has meant all these things that are in the wrong place. Um, but as Ian's not here at the moment, um, I will go straight over to the American example, and I'll um, uh, talk about the American example, where Biden's administration, for example, decided to try and get rid of the um, cost of uh, living crisis by giving every household $2,000 um, in the United States. And at this point, we ought to mention the third cause of inflation, which is that of the money supply. And when you start increasing the amount of money that um, uh, people have to buy goods and services without increasing aggregate supply and the number of those goods and services, you've got more money changing, changing the same amount of goods and services. Um, uh, and that means prices are going to go up. And so we really need to have a take a look um, at the money supply here and controlling the money supply. Because uh, at the other end of it, you know, if you went further than Biden, and my students have just been looking at the lovely example of Zimbabwe, of when you print money uh, just to um, pay government uh, bills, you massively increase the money supply and you end up with a silly number of inflation that wouldn't fit across our screen, Simon. So something else going on out there in terms of international comparisons, those countries that have increased their money supply are experiencing more inflation and uh, uh, that, uh, you know, America is a great example of us with higher inflation than we've got. We're, we're projected to go up to about 7.25% as our peak in April. America is already at 7.5% ahead of us. And that's probably because they increased the money supply too much during the pandemic. So, yes, you managed to, um, you know, prevent um, a lot um, of extreme poverty from occurring and save some people's jobs. But that definitely came at a cost of doing that. And there's different solutions to um, different solutions to avoiding that. 
And one of those is avoiding credit being too cheap and avoiding um, uh, the money supply um, being too loose. You need to restrict it. Can I just check if you can hear me, guys? Okay. Can you hear so me? Welcome back, Ian. Oh, we marvelous. can indeed. Yes. So you, you mentioned indeed, Perfect Storm just as another large roof tile was ripped from my roof and bounced off of the yeah. uh, skylight. Luckily, no damage. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, you were talking there about um, the, the, the risk of uh, quantitative easing of... Uh, pumping money into yep. the uh, economy. And obviously, that we've seen that in, in the US. Um, I don't think it's something our government has mm -hmm. done. Um, but, you know, that there are economies within the world who maybe see that as the uh, as the way out of this problem, you know. Mm. And um, here I'm going to quote one of Margaret Thatcher's favourite economists, uh, Frederick Hayek. And so Hayek would say, OK, if you looked at COVID, um, what you ought to have done is adopt a more free market approach, because at the end of the day, what causes inflation after one crisis, you raise interest rates too much. Uh, sorry, you cut interest rates too much. You have this cheap credit. You increase the money supply too much. And so you end up solving one crisis by causing another. So if I take America as the clear example, Biden has given that $2,000 check to every household in the UK, and Hayek um, uh, in the afterlife will be looking down with a slow hand clap going, you Muppets, you've only gone and done it again. We're going to have a load of inflation now over the next five years. You're going to create a housing bubble, early signs of that, and in the next five to 10 years time, you will cause another recession. So according to um, Hayek's theory on the money supply, um, yes, we've done that. We've done it in the UK with such a big furlough scheme. If you inject £312 billion into the economy just to support um, a, a furlough scheme, eventually when the economy rewrites itself, the economy will overheat. Uh, and that's what we're seeing now. Now, Hayek, and I'm waiting to see Simon's face here, Hayek has a very simple solution. The problem has been cheap credit and cheap interest rates. So Hayek goes further than even Milton Friedman here, and Hayek would say the way to sort this out is to have interest rates set by the market to prevent inflation. And so my solution on the right today from the monetary school is to say, okay, let's privatize interest rates. Let's not have the Bank of Interest, uh, Bank of England set them. Let's have commercial banks set them at the proper long-term rate, which is closer to 4%, and we'll end up with a load less inflation. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because ultimately, you, you can, and I would argue, that the, um, that the banks do that anyway. You know, so the Bank of England's interest rate—I'm uh, trying to remember—they they moved it from 0.1 to 0.25, and I'm fortunate enough to have a lifetime Bank of England base rate plus one percent tracker. And every so often they say, "Can we mm -hmm. offer you a? Can we consolidate yours?" And I ask them if they can better it, and they say, "Well, they're 4.99 percent." No, thank you. So, is mm -hmm. it not a case that when it comes to domestic credit? that are high street banks pretty much within a, a fraction of a percent collude to set the, the rate anyway? 
No, um, so you've got the um, rates has gone up from 0.1% to 0.25 and now 0.5% uh, last month. And what's interesting, if you look at the Bank of England's committee made up of nine, uh, five people voted in favour of that, four people voted against, not because they were against an interest rate rise, but because they wanted it to be 0.75 already and they thought that the interest rate rise was too small. Now, if we took, um, we had uh, the Bank of England became independent in 1997, uh, which was a great thing. It took politics, the electoral cycle out of setting interest rates. Um, Hayek would rather go further, take the Bank of England completely out of it and let, um, let uh, banks just set this no base rate. Um, but what they've agreed amongst themselves out of it. And I suspect interest rates will be quite a bit higher. Um, a, a base rate would be more like 3 or 4% of the long-term 4% before we saw before 2008, rather than um, this tiny interest rates being set now and people going around and getting mortgages of 1.85%. Hayek would say, yeah, that's a joke. You just can't supply money that cheaply in the long run without inflation. You're going to get it, uh, and therefore it should be higher. Okay, well, it's going to happen anyway then. Um, okay, so shall we shall we start looking at um, at what the various parties are going to mm. say, are saying um, about? Can I come in with with one other sure. thing, and that's the forecast, yep. Simon? And I was listening to an economist on Radio Four who gave a brilliant example of inflation. And I shamelessly um, uh, I shamelessly uh, stole this uh, from my classes, and he said inflation is a two year phenomenon. And the interviewer went, well, how do you work that out? Well, OK, oil and gas prices, let's say, go up by 18 percent in year one. And everybody goes, oh, that's a horrible amount of inflation. And it goes into the weighted basket and it averages out, you know, 5.5 percent we've got at the moment. The problem is in year two, whereas in year two, we assume that all the businesses are rational and all the businesses want to maximize their profits. So having had an oil price and gas price rise of um, 18 percent in year one, they all then say, OK, we want to maintain our profits and they increase their prices in years. And so I'm very sceptical at the moment of the government getting it back down to below 3% over the next two years. I think inflation will peak at 7.25%. Um, it might go a bit higher, 7.5%, hopefully not above 8 It will then fall back. Getting it back quickly to below 3%, that's going to take us. It's a two-year project, not a one-year one. I guess it's the sort of thing you Minimum. want to kind of you want to drop slowly rather than suddenly because that will be quite a quite a shock to the uh, to the economy, would it? To to for it to be suddenly changing back down again. Yeah, and so if I use the traditional thing to um, slow down inflation is rising interest rates. Um, that's a, what's called a weak transition mechanism. It takes about two years for everything to be felt through the system. And so, yeah, I could whack up interest rates to four or five percent tomorrow. I will kill the recovery. I will kill all these businesses. They're only just clinging on after COVID. Mm. I'll make a real mess of things. And the likelihood is I would overcompensate. And that's why you see a very short series of um, interest rate rises come up. So we've had one last month. We've had one this month. We'll get one next month, I predict. One the month after that will slowly go up and slowly go down. And that's the way to gently manage the economy inflation. That's the best way of doing it. Okay, and and just just to bring another dimension to that, just quickly before we go into the detail, it is part of the pressure, the very high levels of employment at the moment, which naturally, when you get to very low levels of unemployment, uh, yep. effectively, 
you know it, it becomes a buyer's market and and mm. you know that so the there is an element of well you know if you want my services you are going to have to pay me more than minimum wage yeah and so we'd say as economists the um the amount of frictional unemployment people just moving between jobs uh can be anywhere between three and five percent in an economy unemployment's at 4.25 percent now so you're absolutely right to say it's a buyer's market but the thing that's happening is not the record level of employments that we think got all the unemployment of 4.25 percent there are a load of people that because of covid have said okay i'm going to go off and get that university degree mm. that i've always wanted i'm going to uh, retire early in my 60s you know if i was 63 or 64 looking at when covid first started it's like well, i could go into work and risk my life there or i could just retire early and be a little worse off and loads of people have become what we called economically inactive yeah and that's really driving the labor market at the moment and so yeah you're right to say it's an absolute buyer's market and so coming out of covid in october last year the average um uh, pay rise year on year was about eight percent as a load of people said yeah we'll come back after um after taking time off from COVID and what have you, we're having an 8% pay rise on average to do it though. And that's all fed through the system now, driving this cost push inflation. Okay, so it's all feeding through. Should we turn our, should we turn our, yeah. our, um, our eyes to the different solutions from the different parties then, from the four major mm. parties? Yeah. Okay, so mm -hmm. um, I just popped up on screen then. Um, so our, our table of those, um, do you want, uh, Simon, do you want me to read through, uh, read through them as a list for each party? Uh, yeah, that'll be lovely. And then I will give a grade to each party um, from okay. uh, A to F. Um, I may add on another party as well, Simon, um, and um, give Ooh. a grade for them too. So, um, but we'll okay. come to that at the end. So. Oh, a curveball. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so in, in the Conservative column, um, so um, so £350 um, energy bills rebate. Mm -hmm. um, the national living wage um, increased to £9.50 per hour. Mm -hmm. um, they're dealing with the taper, taper rate for universal credit. Mm -hmm. um, so the point at which that, that um, you start to reduce the amount of um, universal credit you get. Um, doubled the amount of free childcare to 30 hours. Mm -hmm. um, and frozen fuel duties. So mm -hmm. um, that's what there is in the blue corner. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the blue corner, Son? Uh, let's start off with the good stuff for the blue corner. So there's two brilliant things in there that I like. Um, tapering the universal credit rate is fantastic because what that means is when somebody goes over working, let's say, £16 an hour or goes over the minimum you're about to earn, you don't suddenly lose all of your benefits and go into work and end up in a massive poverty trap you are allowed to earn that little bit more or uh, get paid that little bit more as a result of universal credit, and therefore that keeps you on benefits. Now, to give you an idea, we've had economists go out there and add up everything that you would get as a result, but also of being on benefits. So once you're on universal credit, you can get your council tax benefit, you can get your winter fuel um, uh, heating allowance, you can get your cold weather payments, your bus pass, all of these different things. We add all of that up. That's worth about £7,000 a year in all of the different benefits of the business. So that one's um, something the poverty campaigners have been ca uh, campaigning for a long time. That's a really, really good policy. It costs more to implement, of course, because you're means testing rather than paying everyone. But that's really, really good. Conservatives are off to a good start there. In addition to that, we've got um, uh, increasing the amount of childcare. 
Now, that's what we call a supply side policy in economics, where it increases aggregate supply. And again, this is brilliant because we want um, parents, uh, whoever they are, to be, have the freedom to go out and engage in work. They, there's a double fiscal benefit for that because, number one, we're not paying them so many benefits. And number two, eventually, if they earn enough, they'll be paying tax as well. So that's absolutely fantastic. And increasing that aggregate supply is absolutely um, brilliant. The fuel duty cuts, mm, well, you know, it's going to help but it's gonna help at the edges of it. So I'm not convinced that's a particularly um, a good measure. Yes, it, it's, it's helping a bit um, uh, with the cost of filling up our cars, but in terms of the great scheme of things, um, it, it's a little help, but I'm not giving very many marks for that. Now I'm gonna get cross. So if you can put up the um, list of policies again, I'm going to get, uh, uh, get annoyed with the Conservatives and this is gonna just- What about um, the- what about the massively generous rise to the, the it living wage? It is massively rise? generous, Ian. Um, but as um, I was looking at, that will take place in, um, uh, in April, which is absolutely brilliant. And the top rate of that is going to go up uh, by 6.6%. Uh, the Bank of England forecast at that point is for inflation to be 7.25%. And therefore, in real terms, that's actually going to be a real terms pay cut rather than in a real terms pay increase. In addition, if you're like many of my students on here, you're not being given 6.6% as a pay rise, you're being given peanuts and then being hit by inflation as well. So um, yes, it's moving the right direction. Yes, on paper before inflation, it looks very generous. And any time over the last 10 years when inflation was much lower, it would look fantastic. But in real terms this year, it's gonna end up, I think, being a real terms pay cut rather than an increase. So I'm not impressed. I, I would be impressed in that in normal times, in nominal terms. I'm not impressed in real terms. And then on top of that, there's the energy bills rebate. Now, is this a genuine rebate or is this borrowing the Chancellor getting us to borrow money off our own energy bills and then paying them again in the future? And so what's happening here is we're delaying payments. We're kicking um, payments of the problem down the line which isn't that useful to us if we're consumers. I'll get political here and sceptical. It is quite useful if you think there's going to be a change of leadership at the top of the Conservative Party and you may have changed jobs at some point in the next 12 months. So um, this I'm not convinced by at all, uh, both economically and politically. And so with that, um, I sort of come out at about somewhere on 50 or 55% of the Conservative policies, and therefore in the grading system, that comes out as a D grade. Um, it's got some great things within it. Let me very clear, be very clear, um, like those supply side policies, but overall in terms of helping the poorest in society with the cost of living, it doesn't cut it for me, I'm afraid. Okay, so the, so the Conservatives get a D from Simon? Yep, that's right. Okay. That's great. So um, who's next on our on our happy list? So in the red corner, um, so cut the so Labour's policies are cut VAT on energy bills, expand mm -hmm. the warm home discount scheme uh, to um, to around uh, 20, uh, sorry two hundred pounds off the typical mm -hmm. bill. It's currently one hundred and forty pound. Uh, windfall mm -hmm. tax on oil and gas companies, um, reduce reliance on imported gas, and insulate nineteen million homes. Okay, so the cut on VAT on energy we've mentioned before, there's no guarantees the companies should pass that on, but in public relations terms, they will do, and the regulator would force them to do it, I think. 
So that's a good policy in that VAT is regressive and that will help the poorest in the, um, society. So we're off to a good start there. How do we fund that? You have a windfall tax on the oil and gas companies, and it's the detail of the windfall tax that I want. So I want to know exactly how many billion, and that's worth, you know, if it's a lot, you see the Lib Dem figure has got five billion. If they put five billion on there, that's worth a higher grade. If it's only a small windfall tax, that's worth um, a lower grade to me. So the devil's in the detail there. I need to know what windfall tax level that the Labour Party would put on, and I haven't been able to find that. Uh, the warm homes discount, as you said, it's £140. Increase that to £200. Uh, that's uh, good and targeted and helping the poorest in society. Uh, reducing reliance on imported gas, that's very important at the moment due to the international security situation. Um, and, you know, that's liable to get worse if problems in the Ukraine uh, get worse. The Americans are already buying up lots of gas to import to us if we end up with Putin um, really restricting uh, the gas supplies. So that's a very good um, uh, figure as well, uh, policy as well. Insulating 90 million homes, well, this is on um, our green climate plans anyway. If we are to hit our long-term climate targets, we really need uh, to be doing that. So the overall package there, I find better than Conservatives. I'm liking over 66% of that. Whether it's crossing by 70% into a B grade, depends on the level of windfall tax. As they haven't given me the detail yet uh, on that, they haven't told me how many billion uh, they do on that, I would give Labour a C plus. It can move very easily to a B though, um, if the Labour Party give me that extra bit of detail. Um, I'll just get Keir Stummer on the line. Okay, that'd be great. Good luck with that. Yeah, we'll, we'll just get him to dial in yeah. um, okay. and see whether he we, we give us a straight answer. Okay, mm -hmm. so thank you. So a C plus for Labour with the potential to be more if they put a bit more effort in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and the, uh, the B, somebody may come back out there and say, okay, I've got the figures from um, Labour. Uh, this is how many billion they're promising. I'm happy to revise that into a B uh, if somebody comes back in the um, uh, comments and finds out the, the detail I couldn't find earlier. So okay, it's right fantastic. on the threshold there. Okay. So those those of you those of you following the live stream, if you've um, got that information, please do share it in the comments. Um, you can mm -hmm. comment on on our live stream on Facebook um, and on YouTube, um, and we'll be able to see it in the comments if that's been shared either on our page um, or on the Portsmouth Politics Group. Mm -hmm. um, so okay, so uh, back to our uh, back to our ooh, back to our table then. So the Liberal Democrats. Yep. Okay. So in, in in the golden corner, we've got a five billion pound uh, windfall tax on as what they describe as oil and gas barons, um, a doubling of the winter fuel allowance, mm -hmm. um, and the warm home discount in value, and extending the warm home discount to more homes. So uh, currently, as we said, it's one hundred forty pounds um, a year um, mm -hmm. for those eligible properties, but that's usually for so there's a base um, mm -hmm. criteria of people that. Um, are in seat of um, receipt of um, guaranteed pension credit, um, but there are other um, broader criteria that are individually set by um, energy, um, basically by an energy supplier. Mm -hmm. um, other policies are to scrap the national insurance hike, um, force broadband providers to offer cheaper tariffs. It's kind of a bit of a taste of Corbyn there, um, Ian. Are you all right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, God, universal sorry. basic income. So, yeah. what's your thoughts on the Lib Dems, then, Simon? 
Um, this is mostly good. I've got, um, I've got, uh, I, you know, I think universal basic income is a very good policy. But uh, when we get to the end of the Green Party, I will um, give a strong argument to why I think it's never going to happen. Um, so the five billion windfall tax on oil and gas barons, I like that because that gives me a figure um, of what I could do with um, uh, that five billion. Incidentally, uh, whilst we're mentioning it in terms of COVID contracts and what have you, and wasted money, according to the National Audit Office, um, we could actually be getting more than four or five billion back if we made different decisions at the beginning of the pandemic. But that's another argument for another day. Um, so I like that five billion. That's good. That's specific. Um, I listen to the debates and say, OK, um, but, you know, you're going to kill the pensions of the insurance industry who rely on shares um, that come from um, in uh, these energy companies. To which my response is, no, I'm not, because these were super normal profits at a price level that was predicted by nobody, including what should have been in your pension plans and your insurance plans. So they can definitely afford to pay it. Um, and this is where both Labour and the Lib Dems are correct in that they could um, do a one-off tax. I like the fact that it's a windfall tax if it's one-off. We'll get to the Green Party in a moment. But oil prices are very volatile. So what's high this year could be much lower next year. And therefore, we need to be careful about um, uh, what we do to the oil and gas industry on the one hand. On the other hand, if you want to um, uh, meet our climate change par targets, you would just hammer them uh, anyway, uh, consistently right the way uh, through. So I like where the money's coming from. Um, in addition to that, um, uh, we've got forced broadband providers to offer cheaper tariffs. Now, this is whether you believe broadband is a service or not. Uh, the Lib Dems have talked about digital human rights, the fact that broadband and access to the internet should actually be a digital right that's regarded like a human right. And if you do believe that uh, point of view, which is a very interventionist point of view, then you can say this is a natural oligopoly or natural monopoly. We need to um, intervene and the uh, providers could have uh, cheaper tariffs. That would help in the cost of livings, but it's on the sidelines uh, to me. It helps um, a business. It's a good policy, but it's not core to what we're doing here. Core to what we're doing here, doubling the winter fuel allowance. Thank you very much. So if that's... Um, uh, looking at typically the winter fuel allowance um, has been between 100 and 300 pounds, doubling uh, up to 200 to 600 and also extending the warm home discount. Labour, we're going to put it up by 200. Lib Dems going up by 280 there from 140 to 280, extending it as well, the coverage to um, more homes. That's more than the Labour Party is promising and will make more of a difference there. Uh, scrapping the national insurance hike, um, I mean, this we could just separate out in terms of um, uh, whether we're talking about a cost of living uh, crisis and say, OK, simply, do we like jobs? Yes. Let's not tax jobs, including national insurance, which is a regressive tax, which, you know, once you've earned your first 9,600, starts off about 6% for you goes down for 2% for the very richest in society, earning over £150,000. Well, I go further and I, you know, I turn national insurance into a proportional or even progressive tax and make the rich pay their fair share. Why am I, you know, why are we talking about people who cannot afford to heat their own houses paying 6% national insurance and it going up and the richest in society on their income over 150000 only paying 2%? That's crackers there. 
So the Lib Dems there get criticism from me because they could have gone further, I think, in that respect. Um, overall, I like this package, but as I say, they could have gone further. Um, there's nothing there about reducing the reliance on imported gas, which Labour uh, have said that's a good one. They could have picked up the Conservative policy of doubling free childcare. Um, let's have a look. That's all good. Can you go back um, uh, a section to that yep. one? We've got universal basic income. Now, this is fantastic and lovely because if you've got a universal basic income, you don't need universal credit. You can just scrap universal credit completely and say everyone in society is going to get £10,000 or whatever the level the Lib Dems or the Greens are talking about. So, uh, you know... I'm Yeah, but come on. I'm not letting you get yeah. away with this. Well, no, you, you shouldn't. Universal... You Universal basic income is the handful of magic beans. No, I'm, I'm... It's beloved, and it's that, oh, we should have a universal basic mm -hmm. income. And you look at it, and you say, well, okay, it stops people having to having to apply for mm -hmm. benefits. And you go, so, okay, well, that means that you've got to set your UBI mm -hmm. level at a, at a threshold higher than you would set Correct. your benefit Correct. cap at. So... So that means currently the benefit cap is sent at twenty three thousand pounds. Yeah, so UBI could... would have to be yeah. set would have to be set higher mm -hmm. than that. So you, you know this is where I, and again there's lots of talk about UBI. I've only got two questions: is what level will you set mm -hmm. it at, and how will it be paid okay. for? And nobody in any progressive forum that I've asked that question, mm -hmm. you know, they give me the whoa, <laughs> you know, they go all Boris mm -hmm. on me. Um, and and for me, putting putting UB into any proposal mm -hmm. it is it, it, you may as well say, and everyone gets a handful of magic mm. beans. Well, I'd, I'd like to come back on that, and um, I've actually had to do a lecture on universal basic income, so I've got the full mass of powerpoints in it. And so my offer at some point in the show, <laughs> I'm I'm offering, I'd like to come back and talk UBI for a show at some point, and um, we rip it to be and go go through the details. So when it's quiet on the economy. Oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but when, when, you've yeah, got quiet, happen. when you've got a quiet week and yep. want a nice filler, uh, I'm more than happy to come back and talk about UBI and deal directly with some of those questions, Ian, and we look at that in more detail. Um, I would kill it off right now, though, with one simple statement and the simple idea, and it just takes the Daily Mail or the Daily Express to run with it, and you realise it's dead in the water. UBI will fund the activities of drug dealers and criminals. And that it is, it is dead. Yep. There's no way, even if I sat there, Ian, and answered every single one of your economic questions, as soon as I reveal that I'm giving £10,000 to drug dealers, the Daily Mail wax it on its front page, uh, the swing voters, the marginal constituents say, say, we're not touching that with a barge pole, and it is literally dead in the water. So that, that's the problem of UBI. Even if I got all the economics right, politically, I can never see a justification for that. And that drags the Lib Dems down a little bit there. They do, for me, I do like over 70% um, uh, percent, um, of all of that. I'm going, do I like 80% of all of that? And I have to read oh, No, it's okay. I'm going to regrade myself there. I'm going to give them, um, uh, well, I'm going to give them a straight middle of the road B there, the Lib Dems. 
um, partly because there's some clever things there that the Conservatives have done that the Lib Dems could do as well. They ought to be supporting. And partly for things like if you want to say seriously um, you believe in a universal income, basic income, as Ian says, let's have the exact facts and figures to go with that, please. Um, so I'm going to give the Lib Dems a B. I might be persuaded into a B plus, but it's not going beyond that. So a B grade for the Liberal Democrats. Okay. Thank you. So... Um... Last but not least, well, actually, well, in our column, we've got the Green Party. So um, they, um, so in the in the article that we could find, mm-hmm. they commented on the fact that both Labour and the Liberal Democrats um, have a one-off windfall tax. Yeah. Um, whereas the Green, uh, the Green suggestion was about increasing the supplementary charge mm-hmm. on North Sea oil and gas producers um, from ten percent to thirty-five percent, uh, raising three point seven two five billion. Mm-hmm. Um, it was previously actually as high as 32% um, when mm-hmm. uh, George Osborne brought it in. Um, so apply an uplift um, to those in receipt of universal credit. There's uh, what 5.6 uh, million households in, in the U- sorry, a million people in the UK um, in receipt of universal credit. So that would be, what, £661 uh, a year for each of them. Um, stop environmentally harmful subsidies. So stop subsidising oil and gas producers. Um, and of course, as we said, the um, the universal basic income. Yeah. Um, so what so um, there? I'm going to I'm going to pick that apart. I mean, if you're saying, oh, we're going to you know give that to everyone who's got universal um, uh, credit, and then you're also saying, but we want a universal basic income that applies to everyone. Well, at which point I'm going, well, haven't you scrapped universal credit at, uh, at this point? And so in the long run, the left hand of policy needs to talk to the right hand of policy. Uh, about what they're doing. Having said that, in the short run, applying that uplift to those in receipt of universal credit, that's good and well targeted. Um, Stopping environmentally um, harmful subsidies. So I'm going to go beyond the UK. We ought to always mention an international figure. My killer figure for today is the amount that the oil and gas industries are subsidised internationally, and economists uh, estimate that globally is $1.5 trillion a year. It is huge, it is massive, and there are big subsidies going uh, for that. So yeah, I could, I would get rid of those um, if I was the Green Party, but, and here's the danger, if you are being reasonable, if you want businesses to thrive, you can't just suddenly ambush people overnight, not as a one-off when you're... Um, your uh, uh, the prices are high. As I've said, oil and gas, very volatile prices. You need to give businesses time to prepare. And so, Simon, if you can go back to the first um, uh, green policy for me there, that is good if we're talking about climate change, which we ought to be. It always ought to come back as well as the cost of living. What I, I hesitate with is ambushing like that and saying it's going straight up from 10% to 35% in one year. And so where I mark down the Green Party a bit is say, oh, you can, okay, you can put that in, but it needs to be a three or five year transition there. You can't suddenly come in and say, yeah, we believe in this. We believe in being green. We are going to hammer you with that. And the average oil worker in Aberdeen goes, what's happening to my job suddenly in the next six months? What are you doing there? And so if we are to work with business, and I believe we should do that if we're talking responsible economics, it should be gradually phased in rather than uh, suddenly uh, um, uh, hit. Again, with universal basic income, as Ian's um, has explained, we need to know what the detail is there. And it sounds like, you know, you're talking about your receipt of universal credit. You're not suddenly going to have a universal 
income. Although everybody do watch out, they're trying a small pilot study with Wales with a group of, I think, 250 care leaders at the moment. So we need to see what's going on with that uh, study and what the results are, are, are of that, and that will run over the next few years. So I like what the Greens have done there, um, but you know, you're the Green Party. You ought to be doubling childcare um, there, 230 hours. We need to go and check what that is. I'm sure the Green Party do have um, some details on that, but you shouldn't be allowing the Conservative Party um, to basically be the party of free childcare. All the other parties um, ought to be supporting that. Um, the taper rate for universal credit, the Greens should be sorting that as well. You can't just apply to the uplift there because you've still got that cliff edge. It's just like, oh, if I get universal credit, that's fine. And if I go one pound over, it all disappears down a fiscal cliff and I'm in the poverty trap. So, you know, all the parties whether they're on the centre or the left, need to have a look at what Rishi Sunak's doing on, on the um, right here with taper rates and double three childcare. Uh, with that, I'm going to give the Green, Par Green Party a B as, uh, uh, as well. Oh, this is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. So the Green Party, there's a whole heap of nothing. It ends with, and then we all woke up, and you've given them a B, and you've given the Conservatives a um, D, referencing all the policies that uh, they like. You are welcome to uh, appeal on economics, um, just as you would appeal on the exam. And of course, in Ian's case, I would appeal to the Institute of Fiscal Studies, who, of course, will come out with quite different grades than I would. And I will bow to the, their superior knowledge in these matters. <laughs> Other points of view are available. Absolutely. However, I thought, Ian, Absolutely. we ought to agree on something. So I'm going to imagine that I'm the successors to the Communist Party of Great Britain and whoever they are. Obviously, the solution to sort out the cost of living prices is a communist revolution and to make sure uh, that the means of production are owned by the workers uh, that a basic standard of living is guaranteed for everyone to scrap capitalism and to make sure that we will um, uh, get together and the workers unite uh, and therefore I've solved the cost of living crisis before you jump in Ian as I know you're dying to my problem with that, as I tell my students, the problem with communism is there's not much incentive for me to get up out of bed in the morning. What gets me there actually doing my job? And so, and uh, all the Marxists are now going to go sh 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 start shouting at me. Yeah, no, I was going to break into a yeah, chorus. Um, but that's fine. Uh, I'm an economics lecturer uh, brought up from a middle class household, a capitalist society. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I've been indoctrinated in false class consciousness, uh, but the communist revolution gets definitely an F from me. And that's me being generous because there, I could even give it a letter in the latter half of the alphabet in so actually solving the crisis. Because when it comes to actual implementation, having worked for a year in Poland in the early 1990s, I kept looking and going, actually, we've just made most people on average poorer as a result of all of this, not richer. So no communism, if you want to add in them there, Simon, communism gets okay. a I don't, I don't have a oh, graphic to this put up. This is music okay. to my ears. Um, but I was going to start lead, leading a chorus of um, let's sell the flag and buy some beer. We don't need a red flag flying okay. here. Okay. Um, to which I'm going to I'm going to reply. The people's flag is slightly pink. It's not as red as you might think. Okay, exactly. Right. I feel slightly lost now. Yeah. That's an economics rap battle. <laughs> who, have, yes. who would have called it? Uh... Uh, there is. This is amazing. There is actually a Keynes versus Hayek rap battle that has been done, which is used in teaching classrooms. Uh, I'm happy to give you the link in if you want that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Ian, where are we going from here? 
It's a, it's a tricky one for me to follow along because you might have realised that I've had a number of technical issues, including having to change rooms and had to deal with my dog. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure entirely all of the topics that we've covered, but I think, you know, one of the things that is is pretty clear is that the road ahead is going to be pretty lumpy. Um, I, I think that the majority are are going to feel pain as a result of the, you know, the 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 increase in national insurance. Um, again, you know, that, that point that you make, and it's something we can agree on. I, I I have never understood why once you cross that certain threshold, whilst the amount of tax you pay um, continues to progress, you're kind of let off back down to a lower level of national insurance. That That's, that's never quite squared up for me. So, um, yeah, I think in the weeks and months to come, there are going to be plenty of economic headlines and most of them don't look very encouraging, do they? No, no, they don't. Um, can I answer a question that Tim Owens has asked? He said, can Simon Foster confirm zero political preference in his grace uh, given? And that is where I would say, and Ian will be shocked here to know that I agree with Marxists here in that I don't actually believe anybody can truly be politically neutral. And therefore, I'm afraid I'm unable to uh, do that, Tim. And as I've always said to my students, I'm not here to tell people um, what to think. I'm in here to encourage them how to think. So I've given my personal views, but I've made sure I've added in as options from communism right the way through to high privatising interest rates. I would hope I've covered most of the spectrum. But you've definitely covered a spectrum, that's for sure. <laughs> okay excellent well, um thank you very much simon that's um that's certainly been insightful and um well we'll um we'll summarize the the grades um at the end of the show but yeah that's um that's an interesting one but it i, I guess the ideal would be rather than trying to uh, and i'm stealing a quote from the west wing so i'm very sorry um but the real solution isn't you push mm -hmm. one lever in and hope that it works you push a little bit on all of the levers because that's kind of what you what you need to, what you need yeah. to have, um, and I guess maybe mm -hmm. in an ideal world we'd steal a little bit of the good ideas from each of the different parties because they've all got slightly different ideas. Some some could quite could sit quite happily in bed with each other in the sense of though you know one one party policy doesn't necessarily um, preclude um, uh, another party's policy. So uh, maybe a bit of a yep pick and mix of, of those is is the best way forward yeah no absolutely yeah, no. sorry um yeah and i think that's one of the things you know for me which is critical when we start looking at the you know those that are at the bottom of the earning spectrum you know for me i i i you know the the the, the minimum wage was a labor idea um which has continued um through various administrations and continues to you know the the rises that it's received on average every year is above inflation so in real terms there are more you know people are keeping more of their money and up until we lost fiscal conservatism the uh the the raising of the tax threshold um every year was a lib dem idea that came in um when they're in coalition so you know for me there is an element of you can get ideas from 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 different parties, mm -hmm. and and if they work, you know, stick with them. Um, so, but yeah, we are we are living in very strange times in terms of um, the current approach of the Conservatives. Yeah, definitely agree with all that. 
very Thank nice very to see you guys along. again. Um, I'd love to come back Good and talk to you. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, we, we will definitely. We'll we will back. definitely thanks, do that, Simon. Simon. Okay, thanks very fantastic. Much. And thank you very much for joining us, all of okay. the Simon students. Hopefully, that hasn't lowered your grades. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sorry. Right. Keep an eye out, guys. I'm about to send you some more homework over half two. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Simon. Brilliant. So, su superb. Now we were going to cover the the um the 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 six and a half hour budget meeting. I think we've given ourselves sixty seconds to cover that. To be fair, if we're going to uh, if we're going to stay to or time, we could Simon. It's, we could um, run over by about ten minutes. Yeah, let's run over by a few minutes. So, so yes, um, budget yes. on Tuesday, sweepstake as to how long that meeting would be, came out at about six hours, and give us the headlines. Um, okay, so um, in a nutshell, the Liberal Democrat administration uh, proposed its budget um, that, um, uh, that basically um, several different uh, well, so the Conservatives put in their amendment, um, Labour put in their amendment. Um, so I'm going to try to race through um, some stuff. So I've got some slides to put up, but I'm not going to speak to all of them. I'm just going to speak to uh, speak yep. to kind of the um, the headline items. So the um, so the Liberal Democrats, um, so the council tax um, increasing by a total of 2.99% again this year with the maximum amount allowed 1.99% of the general council tax services but 1% um, of um, of that 2.99% increase um, is to be passported directly to adult social care. Um, it also incorporates um, 1.8 million uh, pounds worth of savings um, and there's some, um, some basically spending initiatives um, around the full city-wide rollout of food waste recycling, community wardens, climate uh, strategy, climate change strategy advisor, free bulky waste collections, um, an additional funding for children's social care, um, because uh, basically to cover existing overspending where they haven't been able to realise uh, predicted savings, yep. um, an additional funding for adult social care um, to cover the uplift in the national living wage of 6.6%. Um, that will uh, so basically that one that one percent pretty much makes that affordable otherwise um those savings would have to be found within within that line item um an inflationary uplift um to all other services at an average of four percent um other uh, unavoidable um budgetary pressures of, of 0.7 million um and and some basically some other stuff around kind of um, contribution to capital um and some's kind of set aside but the general reserve remains intact at 21.5 million so um so that was basically what the lib dems brought out um the conservatives um brought in their um brought us brought along their amendment uh, which was quite a heavy list of uh, list of items, but the kind of the big ticket items there were five percent reduction in members' allowances, so that's the uh, the allowances that councillors get paid, and a ten percent reduction in special responsibility allowances. Um, that would save about twenty eight thousand um, pound. They also included in their budget um, moving to all out elections, um, and there was a note there from uh, basically from uh, from the uh, basically from the director. Um, saying that um, that would, if it was implemented for the ne next available year, which would be for May 23, um, that would save about 44,000 uh, pounds uh, a year. But there are several 
um, constitutional um, requirements in order to basically yeah. go through that. Um, they talked about removing three FTE, so full-time employee, full-time equivalent employees uh, from HR, saving 105,000. Removing two um, full-time equivalent staff from marketing and communications, um, saving 80,000. And ceasing publication of the flagship magazine, saving 28,000. Um, removing a director um, for senior management of uh, culture, leisure and economic development, saving 61,000. Uh, deleting the leaders' initiatives budget, saving twenty-one thousand, um, and reducing strategic development support in planning policy, saving uh, seventeen thousand. Um, some reorganisation of um, senior management, the details of which would be um, sorted out uh, by um, by that um, by subcommittee. Um, reinstating um, the um, de the deleted apprenticeship posts that were were lost um, in the Lib Dem uh, budget. Um, an additional apprenticeship post in 2023 and a further one in 2023-24, um, a grant for the Moving On Project, a grant for Portsmouth Pride, grant to the Hive, um, grant to Fox's Forest Education Centre, um, dedicated community warden for Cosham and another one for Old Portsmouth and Summerstown, um, and to reinstate the Henderson Road and Cliftdale Gardens Commission on sales of mobile homes, which was one of the things that was quite contentious uh, when discussed. Um, uh, about basically the, the Lib Dem administration having a levy effectively on the sales of those mobile homes. Um, and uh, a new officer to deal with HMOs um, for 42,000. Um, so several kind of things um, as we're tight for time rather than kind of going through it, but, the, the, but some of the kind of the, the smaller kind of ticket items, well, not smaller ticket really, but there were actually quite a similarity between them and some of the, the Labour mm. uh, labor amendments were about delete, deleting second phase of bring your own device to work, saving 75 grand, deleting um, part of the South CC defences um, where there's a Nelson statue and saluting platform, £176,000, I mean... Bloody hell, I'm sorry. What what do we need a saluting platform for? Um, um, additions to the capital programme, um, increasing the proposed scheme in greening the city, adding um, adding to the proposed scheme about redeployable CCTV, um, adding to the sea defences, basically an enhancement um, there of 60k, um, and additional lighting in parks for 30k, and um, LED speed reduction signs for 15k. So a uh, uh, various kind of uh, smorgasbord, but... The biggest thing is nothing oh, like last year when there was a big ticket item to offset the increase. Yeah. Yeah. So all very small beer and tinkering. And, and uh, I, I'm, you know, again, spoilers, I guess nobody wanted to back the Conservative Amendment. Um, no. So with regard to the Conservative Amendment, um, that did fall. Um, with the Conservatives, uh, Councillor George Madgwick all voting for it. Um, but the uh, Lib Dems, Labour, the um, Portsmouth People's Progressive Group um, voting um, against it and zero abstentions. So the Tory amendment fell. Yep. Um, Labour, um, and as we'll, we'll explain in a second, actually suggested two amendments. But their first amendment was yep. um, was a basically uh, about... Um, um, new equalities and community initiative grants uh, to promote equality, tackle discrimination, violence against women and girls, anti-racism and the Pride event, £100,000. Um, new money for um, a money and benefits advice grants um, for third sector organisations to give money advice services, 64 um, k 
um, a new um, living wage uh, carers fund, um, so to lift wages for carers to real living wage for this year, but for the council to find the funding for that in future years, and that's um, that would be an extra cost of 1.6 uh, million, um, and part of their... But oh, sorry, go on. That's, that was one of their big manifesto pledges, and they brought that to the chamber before, and the administration has explained in fairly broad and graphic terms that there is no money, for, you know, we call upon the council to find the money. It doesn't exist. If you want 1.6 million extra every year, you've got to find somewhere to cut it from. So, yeah, me, all a bit odd to keep bringing that back. You Wouldn't it be a good idea if... Well, yes. Um, well, the the notes from uh, again the notes from the director were there were the concerns that um, if that was brought in, um, that would narrow the gap between management and frontline roles, and therefore would make it difficult, more difficult to retain and recruit managers. Yep. It would also complicate the. Um, the existing um, reporting back to government that the council needs to do um, reporting on actually the cost, the fair cost of care in the local authority. Um, and um, also there isn't any mechanism by which the council can force um, caring, you know, companies that run care, care facilities. Um, there's no mechanism yeah, to, to force them to pass that on to to the staff. Um, so, yep. um, you know, so again, there were, there, there were those concerns. Um, but the Labour Amendment goes on to talk about um, deleting bring your own advice, so similar to the Tories, also getting rid of the Nelson statue and saluting platform, um, also getting rid of festoon lighting and the sea defences, um, but also deleting the Cosham Land Assembly scheme. And that would have um, saved 1.6 million. So that's where the funding effectively for um, for uh, for that social care staff wages uh, measure comes from. Now, that was the that's the scheme in Cosham where um, basically, the PCMI uh, site that's opposite the fire station in Cosham, um, ha um, Hampshire Fire and Rescue Service want to basically move on to that site um, in order to build a fire station that more meets their modern requirements. Um, and there'll also be space in there for um, for uh, police presence, but not a police station. But in return, then that means that the existing fire station site, the existing police station site, the um, the uh, the health centre and the community centre in Cosham then become potential redevelopment land for housing modern facilities for uh, for the um, for the people uh, in Cosham. So there was quite a contentious conversation about whether yeah. uh, whether yeah. whether and, and Gerald Vernon Jackson, the leader of the council, actually said at one point, "There are no votes for me in this in Cosham. This doesn't you know essentially essentially what he was saying is us wanting to support better measures for people in Cosham isn't going to mean we're going to win in Cosham. So that was it's an not just Cosham, is it? It's 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 Cosham, Paulsgrove, Drayton, and Farlington, where Labour aren't ever going to. So yeah, yeah, we'll stitch them up and then that'll be fine. Uh, so I'm guessing in the interest of time, Simon, that that one fell as well. Uh, yes. So the uh, so the Labour amendment um, fell. So Labour voted for it, as did uh, Conservative councillors Atkins and Norton. Um, the Lib Dems, um, Portsmouth People's Progressive Group and George Madgwick uh, Simon Bosher, sorry, Conservative Simon Bosher, Ryan uh, Gosling, uh, Swan, Simon Stubbs, Scott Peter Harris, all voting uh, against it and abstaining were Ryan Brent, uh, Hannah Brent, uh, John Smith, Daniel Weems, um, and um, Rob New. Um, and uh, sorry, Rob Gemini, Lee Mason, and Councillor Hooper, um, and of course, uh, the Lord Mayor. So uh, that amendment fell as well. So last minute, there was another amendment, um, which also was a point of contention because 
Um, this was proposed uh, by Councillor Graham Heaney um, of Labour and uh, Councillor Hugh Mason of the Liberal Democrats um, as an amendment to the Liberal Democrats, um, the, to the Liberal Democrats' own budget. So, keeping some of the things from the Labour amendment about the uh, family hub worker um, supporting yep. mental health support, um, the equalities, uh, sorry, the equalities. Um, um, initiative uh, grants, the money for the benefits of vice uh, grants to the third sector, grants for the hive, uh, supporting poverty strategies, um, and still deleting bring your own device, still deleting the um, some elements of the C so reducing sorry some of the elements of the sea defences by twenty eight thousand uh, pound and deleting the festoon lighting um, for the sea defences which was one hundred fifty six uh, grand but increasing the proposed scheme uh, for greening the city fund so benches lighting uh, trees etc at, at one hundred grand um, so. Um, that was a bit contentious because the Conservatives and indeed actually the um, Portsmouth People's Progressive Group uh, seemed uh, a, a bit unhappy that this was such a last-minute amendment. Um, Gerald Vernon Jackson, the leader of the council, had explained that this had come out of a call that he'd received from Deputy Leader of the Labour Group, Councillor Cal Corkery, um, the night before. Um, Conservative councillor Scott Peter Harris had said that he'd spoken to officers in the council who'd said that this had been this deal had been done weeks ago. Um, so asked for um, clarity on that, um, and the Lord Mayor and Frank Jonas pointed out to Scott Peter Harris that it wasn't a cross examination, it wasn't a courtroom. Um, so there was an interesting kind of side element of there was an agreement kind of reached at the last minute, effectively kind of behind closed doors. But there was also the side conversation of. Um, uh, you know, if there was an opportunity to have made it against the standing orders to submit um, last minute amendments, so within a certain number of working days of the budget, um, there was apparently an opportunity previously to do that, but the um, that wasn't an opportunity taken up by all group leaders, so it didn't get put to council to um, uh, to do because other councils have a have have some have a policy to yeah. that effect. Um, but that uh, that motion that amendment. Um, so it had to be well, brought, surprise, it had, surprise, surprise, surprise. But, but it also because of <laughs> uh, because of the rules of the um, of the council, it meant that because uh, council leader Gerald Vernon Jackson had proposed the original budget, he couldn't then propose this amendment to his own budget. So this had to be proposed yep. by someone else that hadn't already spoke or proposed uh, um, um, basically an item. So that meant that it was proposed by Councillor um, Graham Heaney from the Labour Party and, and seconded by um, Councillor Hugh Mason from the Liberal Democrats. Um, and this, the uh, the Lib Dem leadership agreed to subsume into their um, into their budget, um, which then uh, which then passed um, in the end. Where's my notes gone? Oh, good grief. Um, that then passed with, um, oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. That then passed with the Lib Dems um, voting in favour, as you'd expect. Um, with um, so the Lib Dems, Labour, uh, Portsmouth People's Progressive Group voting in favour, and uh, George Madgwick voting in favour, but voting against uh, were Conservatives John Smith, um, Councillor Atkins, Stubbs. Lee Mason, Norton, Ryan Brent, um, Simon Boscher, um, Hannah Brent, um, Daniel Weems, Weems um, Councillor Hooper, Councillor Swan, and abstaining were the Lord Mayor, Councillor Symes, Scott Peter Harris, uh, Rob and Gemma New, and uh, Ryan Gosling. So in the end, that passed with 25 for, 11 against, 
and six abstentions. Or seven mm. abstentions. So it kind of dusted up, but it was all over in six and a half hours. So maybe not quite the marathon that we were expecting. No. But still, nonetheless. Well, I guess the, well, I mean, does it does it speak to the the future of the council that the, it is becoming more and more a Lib Dem Labour working alliance? Well, I, I, well, as I say, the first rule of politics is to learn to count, right? And I guess, despite having mm -hmm. the largest number of councillors in the room, which is the Conservative group, if you haven't got enough people to pass your amendment, um, then you know, to a degree, as much, as unhappy as you can be, if someone else can reach agreement with um, with with other parties enough to negotiate a way to get a budget to pass, then then obviously that will that will pass. But I, I guess a lot of the a lot of the conversation and the grandstanding in the chamber will be leaflet fodder for the months and week for the weeks and months to come for the elections ahead. Yeah, and I, I guess though, the, the, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, isn't it? It's that is it consensus politics. Um, you know, there is a situation where, you know, ultimately you've got two major parties who are neck and neck and Labour are kingmaker. And I think Labour have made it very clear that under no circumstances, you know, and interesting when you looked at the overlap um, of the policy or some of the things that the Conservatives and Labour were proposing, there was there was some common ground there. And mm -hmm. I guess that's why some of the Conservatives then abstained rather than voted against. Um, you know, ultimately, I, I think, you know, the one thing the one thing this sort of exercise shows is that the, you know, a lot of the a lot of the amendments are detail, aren't they? When you're talking 20 grand here and 30 grand there in a multi-million pound budget, the majority of which is, you know, things that the council is obliged to do. You know, you can't say, well, do you know what will abandon? Um, adult social care this year. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, what we've ended up with is a 2.99% increase, which I, I think, you know, is the minimum that we anybody would expect. Um, the dynamics of the chamber remain interesting. I think there is there, there is something there to say that perhaps the Conservatives aren't, aren't currently speaking with one voice. Um, and you can argue that that's, is that a good or a bad thing? Um, Possibly, if if you know, if all the parties start looking at issues based on the issue rather than maybe a tribalism, um, then we we might get better outcomes for the city. Um, indeed, I mean to be fair, that probably happens a lot more um, than we see behind the scenes. You get that pragmatic yeah. um, working with people. It's just in the pantomime that is the full council. Um, and in budget meetings that you, you kind of really see that. But it, it seems to be more closely brought to bear in a budget meeting because as much as different groups will poke and point at each other, fundamentally, none of them wants the council to be facing a situation where it, it doesn't have a budget and therefore they literally have to yep. go away into a back room and thrash one out in the next 40 minutes or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, in that respect... Um, but interesting to see a change in strategy from the conservative group, as in there's nothing there to try to offset um, offset the, um, the, the you know the the rises um, in um, in council tax. Um, but also interesting to see that Labour were effectively trying to do a similar thing with regard to pr um, property or land divestment yep. in order to fund something short term that was actually a long term expense. So correct. Um, but as you say, lots of 
lots of very similar, indeed identical, requestments for am- in those amendments. So it's a it's really a shame, actually, almost that the meeting wasn't more of a sit down and actually these are the things that we can all agree on and actually get something yep. done. Because what will happen now is that leaflets will be printed, trees will be killed, and letter box letter boxes will be stuffed in the weeks to come until until May the fifth. The outcomes or the interpretations of this meeting and what it means will um, will will be spun in oh, in, in any number of different oh. ways to the point that it will make people dizzy. Exactly, there'll be a bar graph in it. We're twenty minutes over. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. We've got our upcoming hustings, um, and we've promised this year more um, more wards than we had last year, and any ward where we can get two candidates in a virtual room together, we'll hold a hustings. And at the moment, we've got two wards with um, with at least three candidates or potential candidates willing to actually come onto the show. Um, and we have four wards where we have at least one candidate willing to come onto the show. So the numbers are building as it gets to the close of nominations on, uh, f- at 4 p.m. on April the 5th. I'm sure we'll, um, we'll get more of them. But uh, you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Simon Sansbury. Join us next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. Stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>